0: Good morning. How are you? All right. Welcome, those of you online. It's going to be a great Easter. We're going to baptize a whole bunch of you, and that's going to be a great time outdoors, obviously. It is. Are you well? Yeah? Most of you? All of you? That was great worship. We're going to continue that worship this morning in a marvelous way. So this past week, I had a few minutes, and... I was on what's called the Dunedin Causeway, and for those of you online, there's water everywhere around us, and it's a a two-and-a-half mile one direction, and so people usually walk that five miles, or they'll ride a bike, or they'll jog. So I pulled up in the causeway, and I was about halfway in that one of those islands, and I, I just got out of my truck, and right when I got out of my truck, this woman, she said, um, she stopped walking. She was on the path, and she stopped walking on that big sidewalk, and she said, it's you. (laughs) And I never quite know how to take that. I don't know, am I being subpoenaed? Am I in trouble? Did I win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes? And I said, hi, who are you? And she says, I want to tell you my story with Harborside, and she comes to our church. I never met her. And she said, I came down, and she said, your wife prayed over me 2015. And she said, I was going through a divorce. I was a raging alcoholic. I had temporarily lost custody of my daughter. And she said, it could not have been a more difficult time of my life. And she said, I just want to tell you. And she said, I was eating. And she said, I gained a whole bunch of weight. And she told me how much she weighed And she's there walking on this causeway, and she said, I want to tell you, uh, I've been sober since then. I have my daughter back, and my daughter and I are very close. I got custody of my daughter again. That's a good story. And, I mean, she looked thin as a rail, so obviously she lost the weight. And she was telling me that she sits, you know, kind of in the back. I said, where do you sit? She said, well, we've never met. I sit in the back. And she said, "You know, when everybody's like like doing this and just really worshiping," she said, "I'll I'll I'll do this. You know, I'll I'll raise a hand like this." But she said, "But she starts telling me, and and I I thanked her. Thank you for telling me that story. I would never met you. I would probably wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have heard the story. And so I had like 20 minutes, and I was going to read. And I just sat in my chair. I always take a chair with me. I always have a chair in my truck." You never know when a train's gonna come by. I just pull out my chair. I really do. I just pull out a chair and sit in the road till the train goes by. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I am. But I always have a chair in my truck. So I'm just on that little beach there with a chair. And I just sat there and I thought, God, that's what a healthy church does. A healthy church provides restoration. A healthy church provides redemption. A healthy church provides a path for people to be able to come back to you. And in that 20 minutes, I began to think about how do I communicate to people what the church is all about? Not you, but people who don't go to church, people who aren't a part of church. So we'll do a wedding at the chapel, and people who aren't familiar with church will say to me or one of our pastors, oh, so, so you're a business that does weddings. And I'll say, well, actually, we're a nonprofit." And we're, we're in this because we're trying to help people learn God's plan A for marriage. And we coach and teach and set people up with different skills. And they're like, oh, oh. And it, but I'm describing a function. I'm not describing the identity of a church. And then somebody will say to me, and just recently, about Haven House, our new, our new coffee and eatery and all that stuff. They say, well, so, so that's, a, that's a for-profit business. And I go, well, actually it isn't. It's a nonprofit business. We're not trying to make money. We're not trying to lose money. But the point of Haven House is for us to be able to have a space where we provide for spiritual conversations. It's a space where we create Holy Spirit energy, and non-Christians don't even know what that is. They just feel something inside of the employees, the, the people there, the staff, and all of us who are there. Well, what about Marriage Monday? Is, do you have, what is Marriage Monday? Is, is it like a conference every Monday night? Well, these are people that don't understand church. And I said, well, kind of, sort of. It, it's a bunch of couples that are married and young, you know, not quite married and newly married, and they're all there together, and they're learning skills. There's 250, sometimes 300 people on a, on a Monday night. But, but, it, but it's really about, again, helping people with, with their marriages. But those are the functions. I'm coming to the identity. And somebody will say, well, what about the Harborside Music? Are, are you a label? Well, no, we're not a label. It, we, we've actually partnered with Integrity. And Integrity Music now takes our music and distributes it. But the reason that we're doing it is trying to help people to understand and know the gospel of Jesus Christ through music. Well, well what about your online? And, and, and people will just keep going on. And, and, and I've realized those are all our functions, We have multiple functions, but the identity of the church is Jesus. The identity of the church is Jesus Christ. And here's our answer. Our answer to everybody is we just go with the guy who got up and walked out of the grave. That's who we go with. If anybody can predict their death, how long they're going to die, and when they're going to rise from the dead, we're going with that guy. That's the guy we go with. And so we're all on this journey together, but our identity is we follow Jesus. It's really that simple. We are Jesus followers. We follow Jesus of Nazareth, the one who rose from the dead. But then we have several different functions of the church. Well, you've got all those kids and all those middle schoolers and all those high schoolers. So, so are, are you a school? Well, well no, we're, we're, we're not a school. But we're all, we are teaching all our students and our kids, we're teaching them um, the basic stories. We're teaching them about Gideon and Daniel and the lion's den, and we're teaching them all these different people so that as families then, you together have a foundation, and then we're, we're really trying to partner with you as, as families to help you to create positive cultures and healthy biblical cultures within your family. But those are all kind of like functions. So I've thought about this series and we've been in this We the Priest series now for eight weeks and as we wrap this up this morning, I want to start off with our identity and I I want to encourage you to memorize these. There are actually nine of these and we're going to come to the priest one and we're going to land on the priest one, but it's so vital that you understand your identity and here's why. We must understand our identity when we feel like hypocrites we must understand our identity when something tragic happens in our lives and we can't make any sense out of it. We have to understand our ad- identity because if we don't understand our identity, then we'll never really know what we are to be doing, or what we, how we are to function. And so the scriptures tell us that we, basically we have nine different components that are our, our identity. I'm going to land on the priest one, and then we're going to talk about the function. But one of your identities are you're a child of God what john chapter 1 verse 12 says yet to all who did receive him to those who believe in his name he gave the right to become a child of god now the reason i think you need to know this is in the middle of the night when you can't sleep in the middle of a tragedy you have to remind yourself i am a child of god We are chosen and dearly loved. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, therefore, it's God's chosen people. We have to remember that we are chosen. He has chosen us to be a part of his family. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. You see, it's when things aren't going well that you need to know this. It's not when you close the deal, when you got the date, when you got engaged, It's not when you got the house of your dreams. It's not when you got, it's when you, when things are not going well that we have to remember we're children, we're chosen, we're citizens. I love Romans chapter eight. I love this one because we're more than conquerors. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. John chapter 15, verse 15 says, I call you friends for everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Do you know that God considers you his friend? we're a holy nation. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are redeemed. God calls you a part of the family who are redeemed. Galatians chapter three, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then we're called saints. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, he considers you a saint. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the one we've been talking about now for 7 weeks. The one we've been talking about are about priests. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says, He has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Now, what we've been talking about is, God wants all of you to be a priest. And I know that's a stretch. I know that's hard because when you see a Roman Catholic priest or an Episcopal priest or you see somebody that's dressed in in different clothes, you think, well, that's who a priest is. And the priesthood then begins to be exclusive. It was never designed to be exclusive. You were designed to be a priest, to be a part of that. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 says you've made them to be a kingdom and priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 again, you're chosen people, a royal priesthood. So just like I've described the function of of our church, yes, we have children's ministries. Yes, we have Coffee houses. Yes, we have wedding chapels. Yes, we have in person services. Yes, we have online services. Yes, we have Marriage Monday. Those are all functions. The identity of the church, though, is always Jesus. It is always Jesus Christ and He and Him, Him alone. So, your identity, I just listed nine, but I want to talk about now those four functions. But before I do that, I want to mention this. There's always two gospels. And you have to decide if you want both of those or if you just want one of those. There is always the gospel of salvation. And the gospel of salvation is for everybody to come into Christ. And so everybody who is saved comes into the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation says, I want Jesus to forgive me of all of my sins. But from there, not everybody goes into the second gospel. And the second gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Everybody who becomes a Christian comes into the gospel of salvation, but not everybody wants to submit and yield to the king of kings in his kingdom. And so there is a gospel then of the kingdom of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember how it starts off? Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you're going to be a priest, yes, you have to accept the gospel of salvation, but you got to come over here. It's over here where you are a part of the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is where the priests then have these four functions. And the first one is carrying his presence. And we talked about this Um, Amos and Crystal talked about the presence of Christ. I talked about it one week. This is the goal. You see, you don't have to have his presence if you just get saved. But you cannot operate in the gospel of the kingdom without his presence. You can't. You can go to heaven over here, but you can't move heaven and earth over here. This is carrying his presence. And I mentioned how this was God's plan from day one. The dove comes out of the ark, and the dove is looking for a place to land. And the dove flies and flies and flies. It has no place to land. And three different times in the book of Genesis, we see where the dove finally then lands. And that analogy then comes all the way to Mark chapter 1, where someday the Spirit of God, the dove himself, would come down and rest and remain on Jesus. But from the time of Noah until the time of Jesus the dove was flying around looking for a man or for a woman that he could land on. And so the dove starts probably with Noah, but the dove couldn't land on Noah because Noah had some alcohol issues and Noah had some, had some nakedness issues. I'm not, we won't go into the nakedness issues. It's a great story. We'll do it for another time. But the dove wouldn't land on Noah. Maybe the dove could land on Abraham. He was a great man. But Abraham had trust issues. No, the dove couldn't land on Abraham. Maybe the dove would land on Abraham's wife, Sarah. Well, no, Sarah laughed. She didn't have the faith when the angel said to her, this time next year, you will have a child. Maybe the dove could land on Isaac. Well, Isaac was just like his dad, lied about his wife. No, the dove couldn't land on him. What about Isaac's wife, Rebecca? Well, Rebecca actually deceived her husband and betrayed her own son. The dove would not land on Rebecca. Maybe the dove could land on Jacob. Well, Jacob was a liar and a thief. Jacob, the dove of God, would never stay on him. Maybe his wife, Rachel. Rachel stole the household gods. Maybe the dove could land on Moses. Moses had anger issues, and Moses got disqualified, struck the rock. Maybe it would be a king. Maybe the dove could land finally and rest on Saul. But Saul himself was more afraid of people than he did fear God. No, God could not trust Saul with the dove. Well, maybe it would be David. No, David commits adultery and David kills Uriah the Hittite. The dove would not land. And so it looks like the dove's just going to keep flying and never get to land on any person. And finally, after 400 years of silence, Zechariah is in the temple. And the Spirit of God through the angel Gabriel says to him, It's on. It's back on. Get the party ready because the dove is coming look out. And then all of a sudden, 30 years later, here comes Jesus of Nazareth walking on the creek bank, walking by the Jordan River. And John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, the Bible says the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove and remained on him, and then the whole goal, though, folks, the whole point was for Jesus to put the dove in you. That was the whole point. Jesus tells his disciples, "It's for your good that I go away. If I go away, I'll send the Counsel to come for the Holy Spirit, and He will come to you." The disciples are going, "No, no, no, you can't leave! No, 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 you can't leave!" Jesus says, "No, no, no, I'm going to put Me in you," and that's what happened. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. And now every Christian, every person who comes into the gospel of salvation, every one of us who've said yes to Jesus, we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. But then we got to choose. we got to decide, I'm going to step into the gospel of the kingdom, and I'm going to carry his presence. And then when you begin to carry his presence, you change atmospheres. When a priest goes into work, when a priest goes into a community, when a priest goes into school, everywhere you go, you can shift the atmosphere because you carry his presence. I got out of the truck and she said, there you are. I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. It was the presence of Jesus. And I'm not even the one who prayed over her five or six years earlier. But you carry his presence. That's what a priest does. Secondly, you pronounce blessings. That's a function. You don't deny reality, but you never accept what is. Someone is drinking too much, you do not accept that. Someone is committing sexual immorality, you do not accept that. Someone is lying, stealing, and cheating, you do not accept that. Someone is spiritually apathetic, you do not accept that. Someone has a really sour, bad attitude about life, you do not accept that. Someone's a nihilist, they just think there's fatalism, you do not accept that. You see, you're a priest, and you carry a holy swagger, And in that holy swagger, as you carry that as a priest, you shift the atmosphere and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pronounce blessings and you change heaven and earth. Then you minister unto God. That's one of your functions as a priest, the secret place. You go to the secret place. And do you spend five minutes? Is it 15 minutes? Is it an hour? That's, that's not the point. The point is in that secret place and in the meeting place, we're telling God how good and how great he is. And then we're stewarding meeting places. And we take the hand of God and we take the hand of that person and we bring them together and at just the right moment, we back off and we get out of the way. That, that's what a priest does. I want to read for you one little verse that talks about what the church in Acts did. And then let's see how we can priest with that. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. I I want to show you something just briefly right now about how this works. Number one, what, what does he say? He says, "The church enjoyed a time of peace. Just a time of peace. Number two says the church was what? Strengthened. The church got strong. Number three, the church then was encouraged by the moving of the spirit. And then it, it grows. Number four, the church, what? It it just just increases. It it just gets larger in numbers. And then number five, the church lived in the fear of the Lord. I want to show you another slide on the back wall. And I want to show you how this all works together. But while we do this, you need to decide, will you live for both of these kingdoms? you've never given your life to Christ, you need to think about this. But those of us that are Christians, we need to also be thinking about the gospel of the kingdom. So how how does this work? Well, you see, when a priest carries the presence, there's more peace. When you carry the presence of Christ into your family, your family has more peace. When you don't carry the presence of Christ into your family, your family doesn't have as much peace. When you carry the presence of Christ into your, your company or your office, there's more peace. When you don't carry it, there, there's more anxiety. Priests carries the presence and people get stronger. But a priest pronounces blessings Imagine what would happen in your family if you took this seriously. Again, you're not denying reality. You're recognizing where people are. But as a priest, you are praying for your sons and your daughters and your children, your grandchildren, and you're praying for all the people around you, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers. You're praying for all these people to get really strong. What happens when we minister unto God? What happens to the the depth of the Holy Spirit in the church when we minister unto God? It gets stronger, doesn't it? There's encouragement. And we steward these meeting places. We live in the fear of the Lord. So many people live in the fear of man. So many people live in the fear of people. They're afraid of hurting somebody, upsetting somebody. I want to encourage you to potentially maybe live in the fear of the Lord. Okay? And how can we do that? How can we do that? So, which of these four functions do you need to work on a little bit better? Which of these four functions do you need to step into with some intentionality? Which would be best for you? Okay. So, I want you to think about it. I want to tell you a story about Sir Christopher Wren. And Sir Christopher Wren was a 17th century architect and he was the lead architect on St. Paul's Cathedral. And it took 12 years to design. And it took 40 years to build this amazing building. Incredible. How many of you have been there? How many of you seen this? Yeah, Sir Christopher Wren designed this for 12 years. It took 40 years to build So Christopher Wren is out in the courtyard as it's being built, and he sees three different bricklayers. And he comes to the first bricklayer, and he says to the first guy, who doesn't recognize Sir Christopher Wren, he says, what are you doing? He said, well, sir, I am a bricklayer, and I am laying bricks to feed my family. He comes to the second one, what are you doing? He said, well, sir, I, I am a builder, and I'm building a wall. And he came to the third one and he said, what are you doing? He said, well, sir, he said, I'm a cathedral builder and I am building a cathedral for my great God. Now, which are you? Which of those three bricklayers are you? And I think he's encouraging you and encouraging me to become priests of the Most High God. You see, what happens when you are a priest, your world actually gets bigger, not smaller. You see, so many people, as they get older, their lives actually get smaller. Their world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You step into this over here as a priest, and your world is going to get larger and larger and larger. So I want to ask you to make a couple of decisions today. Number one, we're going to ask you to make a decision to give your life to Christ. Will you give your life to Jesus? And number two, will you be a priest? Now, we're not going anywhere because we're having some medical problems in the back. So we're going to be here for a while. So just relax. Just stay looking up here. Let them do their job back there. And we'll honor the dignity of that person that needs some medical attention. So what we're going to do, though, is we're going to personalize this and ask God to help us make a decision, will I carry his presence? Will I pronounce blessings? Will I steward meeting places? And will I minister unto God? That is your opportunity for the rest of your life. So, like I said, we're not going anywhere. We're going to let them take care of that. But I'm going to ask you to ask your Heavenly Father about what the future for you is. I'm going to pray for them. I want you to pray for you. Deal? Deal? Okay, all right, let's pray. So if you think about it, what we just experienced the last six minutes is a lesson in life. How many distractions do you have? How many distractions are vying for your attention? You should try to preach while that's going on. What what are the distractions in your life that would keep you from becoming a great priest? How do you remove that? How, how do you remove the distractions so that you can rise up and be the man or be the woman? I, I wish somebody would have told, taught me this when I was your age. I mean, 50 years ago, I could have used this. Because it looks like the priesthood is exclusive. It's inclusive. He's inviting you to be priests of the living God oh my goodness you have so many years ahead of you to be this and to do that okay are we good now in the back okay alright let's stand you are the king of kings and you are the lord of lords you are the great I am we're not wrapping up this series. We're just beginning. We're just starting. Help us all to step into the gospel of the kingdom and help us, Lord Jesus, to be priests of you each and every day. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.